Hey, welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we're here with a bunch of guys who know stuff about Azure. But before we talk to them, yes. how are you doing, my friend? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. You know, we're only a month out from Dev Intersection and, uh, you know, and a week out from .NET Conf and the launch of all the new .NET stuff. Oh, God, so, I can't wait. Yeah. Well, we've been holding back a bunch of sessions for the show mm. based on the announcements at .NET Conf. So yeah. we're going to be... And, you know, roughly when this show comes out or the week after, you're going to see a whole bunch of uh, new new uh, decks based on the launch of .NET 6 and some really cool stuff. Yeah, and as it turns out, my Better Know framework uh, is all about Maui. Ooh. Yeah, and, and it's essentially, um, well, just roll the music and I'll tell you all about it. Awesome. man tell me all about it all right so i started a new weekly show called the dotnet show mm -hmm. and so basically every week you're going to get either a blazer train at blazertrain.com or the dotnet show at the dotnet show.com the dotnet show is right now focused on maui and things that are uh, important to generally to dotnet developers so maui is the new hotness and what i did this week because this is coming out November 4th. So this is we're essentially recording this on the 1st. Right. Yeah. Um, what I did this week was I did two applications, two Maui applications, one using the regular XAML template and another one using the Blazor template. Mm -hmm. And then we discussed the, the differences and answered the questions, you know, are these really the same thing? Uh, what do they have in common? But during that, um, I discovered... Handlers and handlers are a way to, and handlers are essentially like event handlers, things that get called or fire whenever a, a particular property of a control is set. Right. And then essentially you can do the, you know, pound if Android, else if Windows, else if iOS, and do your native code right there. Nice. Right in the handler. In so the, one code base. You don't end up with separate files for each platform. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, in the case where you have to go down to the metal and and handle these things, and this is only for XAML, right? And right. The, 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 the secret is the XAML template creates a native application. The Blazor template creates a what? Hybrid application. Right. So if you look at it in, uh, if you look at both of these things in the in the task manager, you know, you will see that the hybrid version or the Blazor version takes up over twice the amount of memory because it has all these web views. But, ah, okay. But the cool thing is, the trade-off is, programming in Blazor is much easier because the browser is already the cross-platform UI app. Right. They've done the hard work, right? So it's a trade-off. Yeah, but it is cool to see you doing stuff with Maui because they've pushed Maui out like months, right? It's not going to ship with .NET Conf. Well, so, I mean, the preview bits are already there. Yeah, but they're obviously good enough you were doing stuff with. Yeah, and so there's going to be a another preview when uh, .NET 6 ships and then the the real Maui complete will ship, you know, in, in uh, May, I believe. That's what yeah, they said. Yeah, the phrase I heard was, quote, the build time frame. Yeah. <laughs> which everybody I don't think we knows officially know when build is yet either, but it's somewhere out there. Somewhere out I there. Just, I presume there'll be a couple more previews in between too. Mm -hmm. 
as I get more done. So anyway, go to the .net show.com and go to episode 12, or because this is episode 1764, you can go to 1764.pwop.me, and that will take you right to the YouTube video. Awesome. Yeah. So who's talking to us, Richard? Well, I figured we were talking a little bit about Azure infrastructure today, so I pulled up mm. a comment from show 1723. So that's just the beginning of January 2021, when we talked to Tom Kirkhoff about containers on Azure, which yeah. certainly needs... Some, you know, infrastructure as code if you want to live happily with containers. Right. If you want to live unhappily with containers, try and use the wizards. Have at it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and Cartha Kenyon says, uh, great show with great insight. I'd like to add my two cents about when to choose Azure functions over Kubernetes. Because mm. we definitely talked with Tom about both. And functions seem like a very light, you know, under the hood. Functions are really running in, in uh, containers anyway. You just don't see the container. You don't own the plumbing. For right. That. Uh, and I had very much the same question when I needed to run a machine learning workload on Azure. Mm -hmm. Azure functions have a timeout of 10 minutes, hmm. even when you're on the premium plan or an app service plan. It's limited to that. Uh, it's And you can only have so many instances, about 50 to 200 at one time mm -hmm. of a given function. And so for machine learning, that's a problem because you often are running many, many instances of the same thing. By choosing Kubernetes, I was able to spin up more nodes and couple those pods to different high CPU nodes based on the job without any timeout problems. Mm -hmm. I needed at least 500 nodes spinning up 5,000 pods to actually accelerate the workload. So he was trying to do his machine learning as quickly as possible. So wow, I don't know what that bill was, man, but yeah, I well. get what you're doing. <laughs> uh, Kubernetes obviously is not completely serverless. Even when you use virtual kubelet, you need to pay for one minimum node and a load balancer, and you pay for the load balancer even when you're not using the load balancer for any HTTP traffic. Mm -hmm. The main point in Kubernetes is using Helm. You can divide the pod's memory and CPU, which is not possible in Azure Function for variable workloads. So there, to me, was the real insight, was when you're invoking with a tool like Helm, which is part of the Kubernetes suite of tools, mm -hmm. You can tell exactly what kind of hardware you want this workload to run on. Mm. So for someone in Car's situation where he has asymmetrical workloads, he can go for high CPU, high memory instances, and the container will be loaded and created there. Yeah. So, uh, I thought that, you know, the downside to functions is that we've kind of stripped away a lot of that sophistication to make it super easy to use. Mm -hmm. And it speaks to me of you could go down the function path and you hit a certain level of velocity or certain level of workloads where functions are going to kind of hit the limit mm. and you're going to want to lift that code out and start running it in containers, which is doable. Like you're not going to have to rewrite any code. What you're mainly going to have to rewrite is the infrastructure. Right. And that's why I wanted to read that comment today. That's a germane comment, Richard. I got there. Yeah. Hey, Karth, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music to Code By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code By, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on the Facebooks because we publish every show there. And if you comment, oh, wait, we don't put it on the Facebooks. We put it on the metas. <laughs> Actually, it's still <laughs> called Facebook to the customers. Yeah, don't ruin my fun, man. It's hey, good. all right, okay. We put the show on the metas. On the metas. <laughs> and if you comment there and I read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code By. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. Native, hybrid, doesn't matter. It's all, it's just a, it's tweet. all a web page in the end. Yeah. All right. Let us introduce our three guests who have recently written a book they'll tell you about. But uh, 
one at a time. Let's start with Henry. Henry Bain is a DevOps and Azure architect. Uh, he works with teams to create cloud-first applications for Microsoft Azure. He believes that true software delivery speed comes from internal self-service platforms and independent teams owning applications or components. Erwin Stahl is an Azure architect and DevOps consultant working for Xspirit in the Netherlands, helping companies deliver their software to customers using DevOps practices and cloud-native architectures is what he loves to do. He prefers to run workloads on the Azure cloud and or Kubernetes. And Edward Kyleholtz is a cloud solution architect at 4.net in the Netherlands. He likes to create highly performant software and help team members reach a higher skill level of software development. He focuses on the Microsoft development stack, mainly C-sharp and the Microsoft Azure cloud. And he enjoys speaking at international and national conferences and contributing to community events. Welcome, guys. Hi, nice to be here. Yes, glad to have you here. Uh, uh, Henry, why don't we start with you? Tell us about this book, first of all, and then we'll dive into you know what, what the meat of it is. So the book, yeah. Um, I think about a year ago, I was approached by Manning if I if I wanted to write uh, write another book, and so, so this is my second book. So the first thing I did after you know delivering the first one is promising my wife I would never write another book again. I'm with you. And yes. yes, so that's <laughs> apparently what you do. Um, yeah. It was in the in the shop, I think, for two days, and I I got got back to Manning and I said, yeah, sure, I'll do it. <laughs> um, but I want to decide on the topic, and one of the things that I learned from my first book is I don't want to do it alone. I want to bring in people that I know, that know the that know the topic, and that we can collaborate, so that I don't feel like I'm, you know, going in in a direction that might be, you know, completely wrong. But I mm -hmm. have people checking up on me, um, and that's how we started writing uh, the book. The topic is um, infrastructure as code um, for Azure using the native tools. So yeah. that is Azure Resource Manager templates when we started out. And then Bicep came along. And right. those two are the backbone of the book. Yeah, and we'll talk about those. So did you um, know Erwin and Edward beforehand? Or did you, have you seen them speak? Or how did you uh, hook up with them, for lack of a better word? I know, uh, I know both of them uh, for quite a while already. Uh, I think Erwin and I go back for about eight years or so. Yeah, I think it's eight, nine years, yeah. Well, we worked wow. at the same uh, company for a couple of years. Cool. And then I was at another another customer later in time. I think we haven't we hadn't spoken too much in two years, and I was looking for a reliable developer in the team. And I reached out to the to the previous employer of Erwin and the current employer of Eduard, asking if Erwin uh, was available to work with me. Mm -hmm. So they had good news and bad news. The bad news was Erwin uh, wasn't there, but the good news was they had somebody else with an E, and that's how I <laughs> met Eduard. <laughs> okay, that was the important part. The E. Yeah, yeah, apparently. Okay. <laughs> and so, uh, Edward, tell us just briefly about 4.net. Uh, 4.net is a consultancy club, mainly uh, okay. in the Netherlands. We operate throughout uh, the entire country. Okay. And um, I work as a consultant and uh, try to help our customers with uh, better Azure solutions. Okay. And, and Erwin, I take it Xspirit is also uh, your consultancy? or Yeah, yeah it's also a consultancy company. Mm -hmm. Uh, we mostly do uh, Azure architecture, Azure DevOps, uh, GitHub, and also do um, uh, have some new offerings since this year doing managed services uh, on the cloud. 
Great. So needless to say, you three are overqualified to produce a book of this nature. Your words, <laughs> not mine. <laughs> it's good. So it wasn't written by academics. Let's put it that way. You guys have real, real world experience with uh, arm templates and bicep sure. and, yeah. and the whole, the whole uh, landscape. So uh, I got a crash course self-taught in arm Azure Resource Manager, and a little bit about Bicep this morning while I was doing some research for the show. So I'm completely new to this whole idea. Not the idea of code, you know, infrastructure as code. We've talked about Pulumi before and certainly Terraform, uh, which are tools that you can use to do infrastructure as code. But uh, Azure has these tools built in. Uh, first came Azure Resource Manager, which is essentially configuring JSON files and uh, you know a lot of muck and goo in there. So then they created this language, a DSL language, to write those JSON files called Bicep. So that's about as much as I know. So uh, I guess uh, who wants to start? Why should we even care about Azure Resource Manager? Why not just go ahead and use the portal and use uh, PowerShell and and uh, do our do our stuff? Well. Uh- um, it's basically the same as the, as you did with um, uh, pipelines if you use Azure DevOps, for example. Right. What you, what you had there in the in the previous uh, versions way back was that you had um, uh, a build and a release separate from from each other, and you mm. could build those with with the building blocks, and that's what you do now in the Azure portal. You go to the Azure portal and you provision your resources and uh, build your application as building blocks, but the problem is um, you don't have versioning for that. Okay. So if your software evolves over time, then you want your infrastructure to evolve with your software, and there's no way of doing that without uh, code. So someone has to log into the portal, has uh, way too much permi- permissions on a, on a production environment, starts clicking here and there, makes mistakes sometimes because we're human. Right. And uh, that's where infrastructure as code comes in. So, for example, if I had in my pipeline, you know, or, or whether it's on uh, Azure DevOps or if it's on GitHub, in my build and deploy pipeline, I have um, a resource, you know, let's say it's a, a function in version one, let's say. And in version 1.1, I took that resource away. Yeah. And now there's a problem in 1.1, and oops, we got to roll back to one to one oh and that resource doesn't exist. So there's no way basically when we roll back to you know re roll out that uh function again. Is uh, that the problem? No the, the the problem is yeah for example um um if if you if if you evolve your software so it, it requires a, a storage account for example then yeah. you can you can add the storage account to your to your infrastructure code. Right. And when you roll back the software, the software, not only your software rolls back, but also your the infrastructure. infrastructure rolls back. Right. Uh, although I'm delighted at the idea that you would actually take an API away, Carl. Because everybody knows once an API is deployed, it's deployed forever. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it's the easiest way to make your phone work, your phone ring. Yes. Right? It's like, you know what? I'm lonely. Let's kill that function. And <laughs> kill see this what resource. Happens. Yeah, look, I'm getting calls. Yeah. Everybody loves me again. The big thing I find with cloud that folks that are used to only deploying on-prem and so forth is you, you now have an unlimited amount of hardware. Like you don't, 
install over anything anymore. You just build new instances of the app and then move the workloads over to it. And to me, that's the big thing here is that you can't presume that you have anything configured because you don't. Yeah. You're always, it's almost like you ordered new machines every time you're going to do an update Yeah. And, and just build the entire thing from scratch and then kill all the old stuff, which is arguably the fun part. Yeah, you, you see this yeah. pattern happening in the real world now that in, instead of... Mm -hmm. Um, so in the in the past we we had our servers and you know we called them we gave them funny names like Mars and Pluto or or I don't know colors or whatever was your your thing uh, and and we had them for a very long time but nowadays especially uh, using infrastructure as code it is feasible to spin up a new instance of your application um, using the infrastructure as code you create the infrastructure so you count to ten then the infrastructure is there then you deploy your code. You, count to 10 again and you have this complete new instance of your application not getting mm -hmm. any load at all mm -hmm. um, right. you can even connect it to a to a to a temporary copy of your production database do some testing on it and then um slowly fade traffic from your old environment over to the new environment right. so first serve one percent of your um, traffic from the from the new environment and then five and then ten and then a hundred mm. and then indeed comes the fun part um killing that uh, that old infrastructure this is feasible once you have this you know uh, infrastructure as code you, you you write it once you deploy it many times you can do it to go to test acceptance production um, mm -hmm. but you can also do it to for example what i'm doing at my current customer is every month we want to run a load test and right. for that we want to have a production-like environment which has the same uh, specs which are quite pricey we don't want to have that environment all the time as you right. used to have when you were still running stuff in the basement. We're just mm -hmm. spinning up that load test environment once a month. We run our load test, and then we tear the uh, the environment down. Mm. So the environment costs, I think, like 18,000 euros a month, but divide that by 31, and then again, divide it by 24 times 2. Right. Um, it's 100 bucks uh, yeah, to run a test. Probably this, 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 this recording is more expensive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, I, I've been playing these games with really deep web testing where just running the web test on uh, you know on one instance was going to take hours and hours and hours and so we actually would light up a dozen instances of the site in the cloud paralyze all the tests out break them out into chunks and run them all together to try and get it down to to under an hour was really our goal ideally 15 minutes so we never got there but you know you wouldn't want to do this stuff by hand it's ridiculous to just over and over and over again be creating all those instances and configuring things like it was hard enough just to manage all the naming strategies for having multiple instances of the system and pointing to tests at the right servers. So, so the time spent is one reason, but the other one, I think, as Edward uh, pointed out, is errors. You know, if you have to keep your infrastructure up to date manually, the mm -hmm. chance of you doing something different in production as you did in your test environment will approach one over time dude i have a word document everything's going to be fine <laughs> all right sure good luck um so i've been there i've been there in that you know 12 page uh, how to go through production guide yeah. yeah the problem is it has to filter through somebody's eyes and then through their fingers before it actually works and it's wrong anyway. <laughs> it's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's always outdated. It's always wrong. It's always wrong. As soon as you finished writing it, it was wrong. Yeah. I cannot imagine that time. I don't want to go back there. It was terrible. No. No, no I, I have a Word document now. It's just a JSON document, which is nicer. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, that, that brings me to 
uh, ARM templates in general, I mean, looking at these things, I would never know. I mean, it's daunting. And there's a lot of examples um, and templates in the GitHub repo, but they're also, you know, they who knows where to start? I mean, if you start learning, okay, I know a couple of things. I'm going to create a new resource group called Erase Me <laughs> <laughs> and deploy everything there while I'm working with these things because I don't want to mess anything up. Um and then, you know, start modifying things and looking around. It's pretty daunting. And then on top of that, you have this bicep language, this DSL, which, as far as I can tell, looks a lot like JSON, except it doesn't have the, you know, a lot of the goo that you don't need. And you, you can create parameters and things like that. So, so it's nice, but I don't think, don't, I don't think we should uh, give the uh, impression that oh, yeah, just learn Bicep and you'll be okay. I mean, you still have to understand the ARM templates, it seems to me, in order to be effective with Bicep. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think it is. We actually start the the book, the, the first chapters in the book actually are on ARM templates. And then later on in the book, we go on with the Bicep and, and introduce Bicep and, and then tell you why it's better and why you should use Bicep. Right. Uh, but you are right. If you use Bicep and uh, and you are going to deploy that to the Azure Cloud, what happens there is uh, your Bicep template is going to be converted into converted into an ARM mm. template and actually deployed in Azure. So if you, for example, get an error on your deployment and a line number is referenced, for example, then it's actually a line number in an ARM template mm. mm-hmm. and not in your Bicep template. Uh, and the errors are also actually on the ARM template level, not on Bicep. Right. So it does. It's really handy to know a thing or two about ARM templates and their structure, and then be able to kind of understand what 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 Bicep compels to, or actually transpiles mm-hmm. to, uh, to be able to actually do something with errors and and be able to uh, to fix those. Yeah. Okay, I think you hit on a powerful point there. This reminds me of other transpiling systems where the error is going to going to occur in the destination and you're going to have to you yourself with multiple windows open hope your screen is big enough <laughs> follow that chain back to the line of code you actually wrote yeah and most of the time that's pretty easy to do since you you will re, you will uh, see the names that you actually use and, and it's most of the time pretty easy to to get back into your bicep file uh, but um it will it will get harder and harder since Bicep will also add functions and and uh, functionality that you wouldn't have in ARM templates. So they transpile that under the hood in things that actually do exist in ARM templates. And so it gets harder and harder to map your Bicep file onto an ARM template. That, um, I mean, it strikes me that Bicep's easy to write because the IntelliSense works. Right. Strictly the, the speaking, intelligence works in ARM templates in Visual okay. Studio Code at least half of the time, uh, <laughs> and it's getting better and better. I, I have to say, there it, it it was worse to start out with, but it's getting better and better. Um, but it's not bicep like. It's kind of like yeah. semi intelligence <laughs> now. <laughs> but for me, it's that dot. You hit that dot, and you get a list of what the next thing is, could be. So at least you're not skimming your way through everything. You're just, this has these options. Do we have to use Visual Studio Code? Uh, are there are there plugins for Visual Studio proper? Silence. 
Yeah. <laughs> so it often translates to we don't know about them, yeah, but yeah, in this time it's very true. hard to say we, they don't exist because there is so much happening. Um, but to my knowledge, no. I, I really like uh, to use Visual Studio Code for both sure. ARM templates and uh, Bicep because both uh, uh, the extensions are very powerful and the feedback that you get is very powerful. And have you ever opened a JSON file in in Visual Studio? Not go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do, but I go make a cup of tea in the meantime. Mm. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's my point. I, I, I think I did that gag on Twitter like last week. Uh, <laughs> although I got to say, Visual Studio 2022, the preview, has some new AI that practically writes your code for you. It's it's pretty scary. Yeah. Is it is it the copilot that get a uh, I don't know if Copilot is part of it or if they renamed it. Uh, I have no idea. But but uh, basically, when you, you hit space on a fresh line, uh, it's suggesting what's the next step in your code. It's pretty, pretty effing scary. Anyway, uh, I found it helpful when doing Maui stuff and making lambdas and things that are a little weird and outside of my normal experience. But I have no idea what the uh, and that's why I asked. I have no idea what the uh, you know if there's an ARM plugin for Visual Studio proper or not. But I guess you know Visual Studio Code is what what all the kids are using. So there is a <laughs> plugin for Visual Studio full or proper or okay. not code yeah. um, for ARM templates. Uh, I haven't tried it on 2022, but on 2021, it's like the JSON thingy, but a little bit slower. Okay. Um, so you you can get tea and something to eat. All right. Well, that spins up. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm on a Mac, so that's not going to work anyway. <laughs> There's that part also. Oh, yeah, there right? is that, yeah. But I also fe- I find myself working on an app and then also looking at the, the infrastructure's code part at the same time, and I really don't want them both in the same window. Mm. Like that I kind of like – I end up with one copy of Studio running because no computer should run more than one. And then several copies of of code running because you're looking at you know I'm poking through a JSON file you know and it maybe it's template maybe it's not mm. like, that's pretty normal that seems to be the pattern these days mm-hmm. and I always have to flip an Azure Explorer open all the time now like that that thing lives on my desktop mm-hmm. and uh, guys hold that thought right there while we take a moment for this very important message. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Couchbase. Couchbase is a modern, multi-cloud-to-edge, SQL-friendly JSON document database for building applications with agility, performance, and scale. If you're new to Couchbase and would like to learn more, the Couchbase Developer Portal is the best place to start. It's loaded with tutorials, videos, and documentation, as well as best practice tips, quick start guides, and community resources, including the Couchbase Developer Community Forum. Ready to get started developing on Couchbase? Visit couchbase.com slash dot net rocks. That's couchbase.com slash dot N-E-T-R-O-C-K-S. Are you under increasing pressure to ship code faster than ever before? Then it's time to work smarter with Raygun's modern approach to error and performance monitoring. Raygun gives you instant visibility into the health of your software. And what makes it so unique is that it not only tells you when something's gone wrong, it shows you exactly where it's gone wrong and how to fix it, right down to the line of code. Made by developers for developers, 
Raygun has built a suite of monitoring tools that are used and loved by thousands of software teams every day. Monitor every corner of your tech stack with widespread language support and native integrations with GitHub, Jira, Slack, Bitbucket, Octopus Deploy, and more for even greater visibility. Visit raygun.com to resolve issues faster and to deliver flawless digital experiences for your users. That's raygun.com to get started on your free 14-day trial with plans starting from as little as $4 per month. All right, and we're back, and we're talking with Henry Irwin and Edward about uh, Azure Resource Manager, ARM, and Bicep, and uh, and you, I, and Visual so Studio Did Bicep Code. land on you guys while you were already writing the book? You're like, oh, no, we have to rethink the book? We, we knew it was coming. It was already there-ish in preview, and mm-hmm. um, it, it's actually launched in... Uh, February this year, I think. March. Right. March. G8 the G8, March, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. But um, uh, yeah, we we had a glimpse on it. Uh, you also now have to learn it too, because you're gonna, you're going to write about it. You should know something about it. Were you able to get it out into the field right away? Yeah, I, w- I was in November mm-hmm. last year. I think I, I was uh, at a customer, and we were going to do a, a Azure platform, Azure Foundation, Enterprise Skill. Uh, landing zone or how, whatever it's called these days. Uh, and we decided to do everything using infrastructure as code. Um, they were right. brand new to Azure. So we really started at looking at an empty tenant and we jumped on Bicep in November, 2020. I think the end of November, 2020. Okay. It was mm-hmm. still in preview. Uh, we were planning to go live, uh, I think the 1st of March. And we rolled the dice. Um, we said a little prayer and mm-hmm. we went for it. Of course, it G8, I think, at the end of March, something like that. And it took yeah. three more months to go live with the solution anyway. Um, so we were good. But I had a, a very good practice uh, straight at the start. And I never went back, ever. It is it is uncomparable. Um, yeah. Yes, there are some downsides to this abstraction, especially when you're troubleshooting and you don't know ARM templates. But I think this will save you like 70 to 90% of the time. Uh, compared yeah. to to ARM templates, but it's really for people who've done ARM templates, you know, either from existing templates and modifying them, or from writing them themselves. I can imagine the relief. But it's also like you said, Carl. Uh, you said I, I'm I never actually worked with ARM templates, but uh, the mm. learning curve of doing ARM templates is like huge. And with Bicep, they brought that down dramatically. Okay. So you still you still have to know something about Azure because you're provisioning yeah, resources. You, so you have to know about the resources that you want to do. But if you want to write that um, infrastructure as code, then Bicep will definitely help you. So can we have some perspective by comparing uh, ARM and Bicep to Terraform and Pulumi? Starting with Terraform, like what's the difference? What are what are the main things that are different about these two things? Well, I've been working with Terraform for the last two months, mm-hmm. I think, at uh, one of my new uh, customers, and um, one of the main differences is probably that in Terraform you have this notion of of the state. So whenever you make a change to your infrastructure, you create a storage account, for example. Um, Terraform saves that locally in a state file. Uh, and um, uh, when you work with other others and, and when you have to deploy your 
Terraform through pipeline, you need to store that state somewhere centrally. Um, but with ARM templates or with Bicep, you don't have such a thing like state. Okay. Azure is your state. Yeah. So that means that whenever you deploy your ARM template or Bicep, it will simply look at your state in Azure, compare that with the template and see what it needs to modify for you. Yeah. While with Terraform, it will actually look at your Terraform templates and look at the state and then um, find out what it needs to what it needs to do for you. So and I imagine that is because, you know, ARM is an ARM is an Azure technology. Just it's just for Azure, whereas Terraform works, you know, on it's sort of agnostic and also work on premises. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's another big difference. Although they are working on that uh, extensibility in, in Bicep. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it might actually uh, might actually come, uh, but that's not a big difference. That yeah. yeah, ARM templates and Bicep are are basically just for Azure. And Pulumi is the you same can... way as Terraform, agnostic. Yeah, Pulumi is also yeah. yeah yeah do multi multi cloud and it's even like in Terraform that it's not just cloud. It's also um, uh, doing your hosting your DNS at GoDaddy right. for example, uh, doing deployments towards Kubernetes. Yeah. Uh, deploying Helm mm. charts, etc. Um, that is something that you cannot do by default in ARM templates or uh, or Bicep. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't Terraform, when you're deploying to Azure, generate an ARM template anyway? Like that's how it gives the instructions to Azure. I'm not entirely sure if if they actually go into ARM templates or call into the API. I mean, the Azure Resource yeah. Manager underneath is just an API. I'm not entirely sure if they call yeah. it directly. I know there's a plugin. I just wasn't sure which way it went. The point being, if it goes wrong, you still got that same debugging issue to follow back to what did I do in Terraform that isn't working right uh, Yeah, in yeah, Azure. I mean, yeah, yeah. The errors that you see in Azure are still the Azure. The, the, the Azure errors, errors, and you've got yeah. to map them to the, to the and, uh, upper yeah. tool that you're working with. And does... Uh, does ARM and Bicep give you uh, any rollback capability, or do we have to change our code and revert it and then redeploy? Because I know you have to do that in Terraform and Pulumi. Yeah, well, you could obviously deploy the previous templates, mm -hmm. um, and uh, depending on 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 the mode in which you deploy, that would do a rollback for you. Okay. And I think, thinking out loud here. Um, there is another thing announced, uh, deployment stacks, which is going to be another grouping mechanism for resources in Azure. Um, but there's not very much known about it, but it might be that um, as we now have a grouping concept that you can create yourself, uh, this is also a thing that we could use for creating like snapshots or versions um, of our resource set. Um, but this is, this is just announced. It's not available yet. Um, but I, I've heard speculation that deployment stacks are going to support something like this as well. Um, but this is just speculation. Yeah, because it was it was blueprints was on the roadmap for Bicep, which I think is ties to the same idea, right? Um, so so blueprints was uh, like an ARM template or a okay. description of a set of resources, um, which you could deploy and then apply like a lock to. So, and that lock would go uh, override authorizations. And this is very uh, handy when you're from a central or, uh, team in an organization, you're deploying resources that other people should build upon, but not change. 
right. concrete example, I am building a corporate network and I choose a hub and spoke architecture, which is quite common in Azure. So I deploy the hub, it's mine. I, for example, enable internet access for all my users and I want everybody to have their own spoke network and I want to pair that with the central network. Then I yeah. add their network and the peering I put in the blueprint, I deploy it and then it's in their resource groups. They can use it, but they cannot remove it or they cannot no. alter it. And that's, and in, you know, I'm wearing my tinfoil hat right now. And that's for me as an enterprise InfoSec guy, that's my standardized monitoring, tracking, firewall controls, like all of that stuff is in these templates you must use that will provide you, but you could, you do get to apply your own resources, but I do get to monitor it without having to fight for it. Absolutely. So in the, in the blueprint, I can, for example, uh, not just deploy that network, but also enable network watcher and enable right. uh, NSG flow logs, all these goody things um, of day to day you want to have, mm -hmm. and they cannot remove it. So even if they have yeah. fully authorized in that scope, they still cannot remove them. That's blueprints. Yeah. No, I think, and I think it's really powerful for as soon as you beyond a small team working on one project and into a bigger organization, you've really got to think this stuff through. Absolutely. Now, the thing is, Blueprints is not covered in the book um, mm. because Blueprints are also on the roadmap to be replaced with uh, deployment stacks. Mm -hmm. okay. A Blueprint is also like a grouping mechanism with some properties attached, in this case, the locking, which is kind of the same as the deployment stack. So that's the deployment stack is going to be the replacement of Blueprints um, and introduce other, you know, grouping mechanisms as well. I know it's a little bit fake, and that's because it's just announced, and there are no details shared uh, shared yet. Right, and then if you search for anything involving Azure and Stack, you get somebody wants to sell you a chunk of cloud. <laughs> Even <laughs> worse, they're going to sell you hardware for. to put in your yeah, basement. Yeah, hardware, exactly. And uh, yeah. what about teardown? I mean, it's probably not as big a deal because in Azure we can just delete our resource group. But uh, is there anything? To, to tear down what we've built? Yeah, there, there is. You, you have um, uh, three modes of deployment for an ARM template. Mm -hmm. That's validate, and you have incremental, and you have complete. And the incremental and complete are most important here. If you, if you deploy an ARM template incrementally, it looks at um, the current state in Azure, and then at your template, and then it identifies what needs to be done to get to your, to your desired state. But when you go to the complete mode, it also looks at the resources already provisioned in Azure that are not in your template and remove those. Okay. And this is, and this, you know, I was thinking about the Terraform maintaining the state mindset, but for roll forward, roll back, it's, it's avoiding needing to redo everything. They're just starting, you know, this mindset of, We'll just make a new one and blow the old one up. It's like you can't actually make revisions. ARM, ARM will not not redo everything. It will just okay. check if the resource is there and if all the properties are fine. It will it will do nothing. Right. But if you, for example, change a property, um, um, the school of a web server, for example, mm -hmm. uh, then it just changes the school. It will not provision okay. a new web server for you. It will it will change it. The least amount of change possible. Exactly. So it's like an absurd or an item potent operation. Um, right. And this is, of course, a, a great way. So one of the things that you can do from a security point of view is, for example, you know, redeploy your security settings every hour. Mm -hmm. Not right. because you're changing them, but because you want to affirm that your security settings are as you want them to be. Mm -hmm. And and you can, you can this, this complete deployment, you can 
use that to remove stuff. Um, but you could, for example, do a, a deployment in the morning that adds some, I don't know, very expensive infrastructure that helps you with performance. And you could do another deployment later in the day uh, that removes the stuff. It's another thing I would do because mm-hmm. um, complete deployments are very powerful, but also highly dangerous. If you right. if you make a mistake, the stuff is really gone. Um, but you can play and do uh, uh, fancy stuff. Experimentation. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's very chaos monkey like, right? Let's like let's see what happens when I change this. Yeah, but you you can also protect yourself from. <laughs> The the, the, yeah. the danger that Henry is talking about, for example, if you have a, a production database, you obviously, obviously don't want to throw that away by accident. But then and, uh, Azure has uh, a mechanism called locks, so you can put a lock on the database, uh, so you cannot remove it, even mm-hmm. if, if your ARM template says so. Right. And if you uh, if you compare that to uh, to the Terraform float, and in, in Terraform you first do a plan, and that shows you what it's actually going to do if mm-hmm. it's if it's going to change anything or if anything is going to be added or if anything is going to be deleted, you get a summary of that, and then you do an apply to actually do mm-hmm. that. Right. And in ARM we have the what if command that actually does the same mm-hmm. thing. Right. It just generates a log for you what it is about to change, and then you do a deployment and it actually does it. Yeah, yeah I like so that what if for the security networking stuff, right? It's like I've I've already deployed this. It should be the same. Now I run a what if just to see like is something changing this from somewhere else? Is turning inevitably turning off security features inevitably. Nobody ever turns it up. So and then you know now you're on the hunt for so what's turning this off? Mm-hmm. Like, why why does this keep getting set this way? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's really really powerful and also gives you a bit of risk management when you when you deploy something to production that you at least know what it's actually gonna do. Right. Uh, it's just especially useful if you if if you haven't been deploying to production for a while you you might be hmm what is it gonna change right so then the what if or the plan in Terraform can really help you out there yeah and then have some conversations with all the people that are going to be impacted like you this looks bigger than I thought it was going to be it's not just our code it's changing all these other things as well everybody good <laughs> <laughs> you can combine that with with pipeline so one one thing mm-hmm. i did at a customers was instead of just having a production states in the deployment pipeline um let's let's call them production one and production two in production one we run the what if and we yeah. we ran that regularly and whenever there was at least one change it would fire the next change stage and ha- that have a pre-approver and right. if there were no changes detected detected the pipeline would just uh, stop running so you have automation that constantly runs uh, the validation or the what if, and it only fires the actual deployment if a change is detected, and it's going to wait for the approval. Right. So you have a ge- you can have a gatekeeper. Yeah, you you have a monitor. Yeah, yeah. and that that is probably a person. It's like oh. no, you can do this from the pipeline, the automated execution, um, but then once once it detects a change, you're probably going to want to have a manual approver who is yeah. the gatekeeper, right? Yeah. Because yeah. maybe Maybe you made a change in production because there's an incident, mm-hmm. and the worst thing mm-hmm. that can happen is that an automated pipeline overrides your change halfway in mitigation. Yes. Yeah, been there. It's like rule number one when you're in trouble, stop digging the hole. <laughs> <laughs> Hurts when I uh, do this. Half, yeah. Well, yeah. It's like 90% diagnostics. Every change you make before you get to the bottom of the diagnostics is actually making you further away from where you wanted to go. 
when you finally get the diagnosis done, it's like now we have to undo all the things we thought were were it and, and untangle our mess. It's very hard to to do this the diagnostics uh, slash troubleshooting because indeed the worst thing that you can do is have two changes and then yeah. have the issue go away, but then you know still asking yourself what was the thing right. that actually what resolved that? the issue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so let's say you're using Terraform or Pulumi, but you're only using Azure. Make the pitch to switch to using ARM and Bicep. So I am not a big fan of best practices or absolutes uh, um, on this kind of decisions. So I would say your mileage will vary. Mm. However, uh, if your team has no experience with Terraform or Pulumi, uh, Azure Resource Manager templates or Bicep is probably going to be closer to the things that they already know. Right. Um, and not getting Pulumi on Terraform aboard if you don't have it yet, it's just one tool you don't have. And as you probably are all aware that we already have way too many tools yep. in our working yep. environment. Less is more in this instance. So if you can go without it and it fits the skill set of your team, I think you're better off uh, with Bicep. Uh, right. I mean, you get it's built for Azure, right? So just because of that fact, you're going to find tighter... Uh, tighter coupling with with Azure. Tighter integration, more knowledge in people that are only focusing on Azure, better understanding of your Microsoft partners that are involved with you. Hmm. Um, It's supported by Microsoft, so you know there is always a PFE that can come in and fix your problems um, if um, you find yourself against the wall. And there are some guarantees that come with it. So if you're doing this, chances are you know about your Azure resources, you've done deployments and all that stuff. So so is that the only knowledge that you need if you're going to sort of skip over the, you know, the the how to write ARM JSON files by hand and go right to Bicep? You think that's a good uh, a good thing to do? I I think um it's it's a good thing to understand how the the ARM is the Azure Resource Manager, so it's a, actually the mechanism yeah. uh, responsible for provisioning the resources in Azure. Mm. I think it's important to understand how that mechanism works. So how RBAC works, uh, what are the the uh, uh, permissions that Azure's are uh, that Azure's going to check. But you probably have experience with that already if you're if you're at this point, right? Hopefully, yeah, you do, you do, and and maybe Azure Policy. Right, because Azure policy, Azure policy comes into play as well, uh, and then the locks, and, and I think it's important to know that um, it may be of value to understand how ARM templates work. Mm. Uh, but apart from that, you can definitely go to Bicep and uh, go ahead and write yourself awesome templates. But to be realistic, going back to the TypeScript, uh, which transpires to JavaScript, which runs in the browser right. analogy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm new to the field. And then I, I, I'm a theoreticist, so the, I will take four days to first learn JavaScript, and then I will take four days yeah. to learn, sorry, a bit of JavaScript, and then a, a bit of TypeScript, and then I will go about my business. But people right. nowadays, they won't do that. Right. They will just start working in TypeScript, and whenever they run into an error, they will like, why isn't this TypeScript? <laughs> and then they will Google it, and Stack then they will find out that it's JavaScript. Right. <laughs> and that will happen with people that start in the field now as well. I'm I would say to everybody, learn 
ARM templates first, but what will happen in reality is people will start using Bicep, they will be amazed, they will find it wonderful, and then they will run into some kind of error, and at that point, mm-hmm. when they encounter the leaky abstraction, then they will be forced to learn a little bit about ARM templates. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think, not the ideal path for learning from a theoretical point of view, yeah. but it's just what will happen in the real world, yeah. I think. JSON files are easier to read than write anyway. Yeah. Yeah, well, as long as you know what you're looking at. I mean, and that's the problem. (laughs) I think they're easier to read than to change, but they're probably easier to write than to read. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. It is all all a write-only language. (laughs) That's a a lot of indentation in my life I don't need, man. Yep, that's why you need to switch to bicep. Because you that's don't. what I'm thinking, right? It's <laughs> like I don't want to. I don't want to write JSON. I'll, I'll write IntelliSense dot notation code and then look at the JSON that gets spat out. All that ceremony, and you also in 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 the uh, JSON templates, you have fixed positions where you need to uh, enter your parameters. Fixed positions yeah. where you need to enter your uh, variables. And going to Bicep, you can declare variables where wherever you want. Mm. Well, that and I can go in and cripple people's JSON files just by putting fake spaces here and there and see if I can ever find them. Right? <laughs> Not that I ever do that. Who would do that? Nobody does that. <laughs> fake spaces. I remember reading about that. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. You, you know, you get up in the higher Unicode sets, and you can get characters that just look like a space, but it's it not a space, a space. And the parser does not like it. <laughs> just imagine putting in one curly brace is halfway 2,500 lines file. Oh, yeah. Um, You're not thinking the right way. You delete one curly brace, 3,500 yeah. lines, just yeah. one. Are we going to have like nested JSON files like we do with, you know, we, we do with coding best practices where you want to keep uh, functions uh, short and readable and refactor them? Yeah, in, uh, in Bicep, that's actually called a module. So you can create modules and then, then combine multiple modules to actually create meaningful infrastructure. Well, I like you. that. Uh, and those modules are reusable, et cetera. Um, but when that transpiles into an ARM template, the output is just one ARM template mm-hmm. with a lot of nesting. With everything in it, yeah. Yeah, with just one file with so it. You got to start looking at that that ARM template is like a linted JavaScript right. file. You don't look Think at that. Think of it as like It'll a binary. Sad. Yeah. Yeah, you just ignore it. Just deploy. Right. Yeah. And then off yeah. it goes until it doesn't yeah, work. It goes. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it, it's actually an advantage because in ARM templates you you, you also have that called linked templates. Then mm-hmm. you can you can reference a, a different ARM template, but it has to be publicly available. So if you run that from a pipeline, you have to have a storage account, upload your your ARM templates there. Uh, they mm-hmm. have to be publicly available, so you have to generate a SOS token or whatever to to uh, to be able to access those files before you run the pipeline. Right, and now with with Bicep, you have the advantage that you can uh, uh, spread the code out over multiple files, um, making them easier to maintain and to read. But because they're deployed as one ARM template, you don't have to do all that plumbing before you run your pipeline. Yes, and I think to com- coming right. back to to this debugging of ARM templates, I think one one thing is fair to point out that is out of twenty five errors in an ARM template you will probably be allowed to make only one in a bicep template. So the number of times that you actually yeah. have get to debugging the template instead of, you know, figuring out what it works, what it is with squirrely, yeah, squirrelies under your text and uh, yes. browsing <laughs> to a uh, control space list. Um, there's, uh, 
is much less likely to run into that debugging situation yeah. with bicep, which is wonderful again. Sorry, I'm not I can... saying biceps are going to get rid of all of your errors. It's just going to be fewer. Um, a lot fewer. Absolutely. Well, we've waited for the end of the show to ask the most important question of you guys. Frickendell or Bitterballen? Bitterballen. <laughs> 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 yeah, definitely. Yep, yeah. For sure. Bitterballen? Yep. Really? Oh, really? Last time I had Bitterballen, sure. it was just this deep fried gooey mass of goo i don't know a freaking del at least that's tastes more like meat right? mustard man that's what makes it good <laughs> the freaking del at least resembles I to, sausage i was at microsoft inspire when snellson was country partner of the year and we flew bitterballen <laughs> over from the netherlands <laughs> to the states um, because they didn't know them in the in the bar yeah, that of course we were using know. for the celebrations um so we had Bitterballen in the States. Um, apparently, there was like kind of a one-time event. Yeah. Um, yeah. How did the, the Agri Agricultural Board let you import that stuff? What do you declare it as? <laughs> I Is don't know. Food? Somebody arranged it. It's not food. <laughs> how, how did they prepare it? Did they know that they, they that their deep fryer was required? I I I I'm I'm not sure if this is like a real story of just something that I was told, you know, when it was getting later in this conference. Yeah. I'll be honest. Okay. Um, but apparently they also had to fly in deep fryers as we have them in the Netherlands. Yeah. Um, and right. they had to teach them how to fry the bitables. All right, but then okay, this is a theoretical answer, but let's say you've been drinking all night in Amsterdam. Okay. Now it's four o'clock in the morning. You want to go get something greasy and meaty. Are you going to go for a frikandelle or a bitterballen? You guys saying bitterballen yeah, every time? Frikandelle. Then, then it's frikandelle. Yeah. Okay. Now yeah. the truth comes case, out. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> Bitterballen's the first beer. <laughs> frikandelle is the I don't know exactly. how many beers I've had. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. I think bitterballen will be on the table when you walk in. When you walk in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Frikadelle is basically the start of your recovery. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Now we now we get to the heart of the matter. All right, guys. Thank <laughs> you. It's been a pleasure uh, talking to you. And good luck with your book. And I hope everybody listening goes and gets a copy. And uh, especially if you're doing this kind of stuff. Thank you again. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it was awesome. Thanks. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a